the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. What do you want to talk about? We can talk about anything. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. All right, Mr. Burton. Excellent. Doing well. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, one of the things we're going to be doing in short order is another event coming up. We can go and Sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Tied towards retirement and income. Um, what do we need to know about this whole shebang? Who's it for? Well, if you are thinking about retirement in the next decade or so, um, that's kind of a key point in transitioning your portfolio because, you know, if, if you can deal with the volatility and train yourself to say, okay, if the market dips, the market's been my friend for the last 110, 120 years, even despite the bubbles that we've been through. If you can deal with that volatility, you can be aggressive for most of your life. If you can't sleep at night, it's something different. You know, this advice isn't for everybody. But once you get to 10 years away from retirement, you really have to go from that accumulation phase to that, okay, how am I going to do the decumulation phase? And then once you do that, what are the rules that you need to know about in terms of taxes, in terms of which accounts do you draw from first? How do you rebalance your portfolio? Does timing the market matter? All those things that's what we deal with in the in the 10 pillars of retirement income planning. Part of what I do during the 10 pillars is talk about different types of dividend income stocks. Um, setting up, like you said, decumulation. That's not a word I've actually am terribly familiar with. Um, but it is important to acknowledge that, you know, you accumulate assets and you distribute assets and you don't just want one simple name and, that's the end-all, be-all for you. So um, that's one of the things we're going to talk about. People can go to robblack.com, sign up for it right now at robblack.com. Um, anyway, what else is going on with you? I haven't seen you in a while. It has been a while. We haven't been in the same room for a while. We did radio, but people don't realize that like we're not in the same room often. More than often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. busy people, right? Kind of big deals. <laughs> you say so. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, you know, I've been dealing with a lot of... Uh, 
people that kind of have these ideas about retirement. And we've got 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every month right now. 10,000. That's a lot of 65th birthdays out there. There's got to be like a 65th birthday balloon business we can invest in. I don't know. But there's there's all these bad rules of thumb. And, and unfortunately, here's the difference between generations. You know, Rob, the millennials are generate. What are we, Generation X, Y? I don't even know anymore. X? X. Okay, so we're X. Ys are in before millennials, right? Um, you know, I think broadly you say millennials are 18 to 35. Okay. But with that said, they were actually 25 to 35. And the Generation Z is 18 to 25. But we're saying millennials are all the same thing at this point. Right. So the younger people, you know, trust technology more and, you know, finding out what everybody else is doing, confirmation for what they're doing. Um, they don't like to be sold, right? But unfortunately, a lot of baby boomers, that relationship, that club feeling that, uh, you know, having that kind of sales relationship is still there. And there's too many commission-based people that are preying on people that are close to retirement. And if you work on commission, the only time you get paid is when somebody makes that initial investment with you. So all these guys are out there saying, oh, yeah, you want to retire? You've got a big $500,000 401k? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're ready to retire. And they're telling them they're ready to retire because they want that rollover. I've been fixing issues for the last month. It's kind of coming in waves for some reason of people that were told they could retire. They got put into bad annuities or other garbage product that's out there um, that they're stuck in because of surrender charges and high fees. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's got to actually do the cash flow projections and say, you know, you might want to think about going back to work or you might want to think about a part-time job. How's that, that, conversation, you really how's that conversation go? It's tough, but, you know, our job – you know, we have six certified financial planner practitioners. We hold ourselves out as a fiduciary. We don't blow smoke. You know, if you're going to, I would rather tell you now when you're 65 than when you're 80 that you don't have enough money to live to your 100 years old. You know, because when you're 80, well, maybe maybe it's better when you're 80 because if I told them that at 80, they'd have a heart attack and just, that, that's it, right? Is that one of the biggest problems right now in the financial planning? And I use the word financial planning without the certified financial planning. Is that one of the biggest problems in the financial planning community of people retiring in a big lump sum and then basically getting bad advice on it? Yeah. Yeah, and some of the bad advice that I see is uh, reverse dollar-cost averaging, which we've talked about before. And that's where when, when you're dollar-cost averaging, and it's funny because that's a really stupid word, reverse – even just the word dollar – the phrase dollar-cost averaging. Okay. Um, I think it was Invesco did this study, and they said uh, – they went out in the public, and what does that mean? Well – What's the average cost of the dollar? Isn't the average cost of the dollar just the dollar? And nobody really knows what that means. So what dollar cost averaging means is you're already doing it. You're doing it with your 401K. Every two weeks, every month, however you get paid, money's going in. Sometimes you're buying high. Sometimes you're buying low after a dip. So it averages the price out over the long period of time. That's dollar cost averaging. And it really is a silly phrase. Um, and that's fine when you're building wealth. But... If you're reverse dollar cost averaging, which means you've created a portfolio and then you're taking even amounts out of, of stocks and bonds and you started doing that in 1999 or you started doing that in 2007, you've been crushed. You have had two decades where the market declined drastically and then charged way back up. But if as it was declining, you were pulling a lot of money out, you haven't charged back up. If you started that in 2007, you're probably way behind. If you did a, a correct strategy where you had enough cash on the sidelines, you had enough dividends and interest to get you through the bad times, 
you're fine. You're probably well ahead of the game because the market has charged forward. Um, and so, you, you, you know, timing the market doesn't make – it doesn't matter at all. You don't want to buy software. You don't want to go to seminars that teach you how to buy and sell with a graph or a chart when you're 30 years old. You just want to figure out ways to save money. But timing the market's everything when you're drawing out of your portfolio. And I'm not talking about going all in and all out. I'm talking about ways that you can time it so the market is having a corrective phase. You don't have to pull money out. You have other sources of income, whether it's cash, dividends, interest, whatever it may be. So what else do we kind of have to know about you refer to them as pillars of retirement income. Yeah. Um, is it that simple? Can we, like, can you come up with a list of 10 things that people have to know about retirement income and get away with it? Because to me, that I can come up with a list of more, but these are 10 key things that, okay. that when I run through these with people, I tend to find that maybe only three or four of them have been answered. Um, and the top one that isn't answered is people don't know their expenses. They, don't, they can't even answer the question, what are you going to do in retirement? It's intimidating because my we don't really want to have to live on a budget. Do we? No. And it's it's funny because it's some of the biggest uh, issues that I see dealing with, um, you know, 50-year-olds that are starting to talk about retirement. And then we start, we ta- we start talking about a budget, and one or the other usually has a, a problem with it. It usually takes some time to to get past that hurdle of you've you've got to start watching your money. So that you know how much you spend, so you can project how much you need. Expenses rule everything. They rule even your asset allocation. So a big event coming up in Palo Alto. People can go to robblack.com and sign up for it tonight. It's robblack.com, Palo Alto, Elks Lodge, CFP, Chad Burton, and myself. Uh, we'll be there talking pillars of income, uh, retirement planning issues. Uh, bring your portfolio. Bring your questions. Don't be shy. I'm going to be talking some dividend stocks. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. Overture Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, talking investing, and more. Tonight, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar, and we'll be talking a little bit of tax-efficient investing, what you can do to maximize Social Security. What does that mean? Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Maximizing Social Security. Is that just basically waiting to take it until nope. you're older? Not. It's, it, it's even better than that. So um, there's a couple of different strategies, but they actually have to work together. Um, for example, the best one where you have two people that have worked 
one, let's say husband maybe had higher income, which tends to be traditional because in our workforce, unfortunately, women tend to get paid less. That's changing, I think, these days, but it hasn't been the case in the past. So a lot of times what happens if two people have worked, um, let's say you retire at 65 years old or 66 years old. You can't do this until your full retirement age. But if you have two people, a lot of times they say, oh, we're, we're both retiring at 66. Or let's say your wife is a few years younger. Um, what you can do is the husband can go in and file and suspend. So you have to do something. He has to go in and do this in order for the wife to get what's called a restricted application. So you go in, you, you're 66 years old. If that's your full retirement age, if your full retirement age is 65, fine, do it then. But you file and so for your Social Security payments, but you suspend them. I don't want to take them until I'm 70. So you file and suspend, and what that does is it makes your spouse, even though she received, she can get her own benefits, she can do a restricted application and actually get spousal benefits from the age of, uh, you know, all the way up until 70, and then she switches to her own. So she actually lets her own Social Security grow, and that's about an 8% rate of return on your money when you do the math, and if people live to normal life expectancy, it allows the Social Security to actually grow, grow, grow from her retirement age to age 70. But until then, she's taking a spousal benefit. It's like free money. It's part of the system. It's the way it works. And so um, they both end up turning on the tap at age 70, and they both have a much higher Social Security. And if both people were to live till age 86, we see numbers sometimes where it makes $250,000, $300,000 worth of difference over a normal life expectancy by maximizing Social Security. Okay. That's not the easiest thing to explain on radio, is it? Uh, it it's not too bad. There's actually um, at newfocusfinancial.com, we've got some blogs on it, so you can you can check it out. Um, we've gone through times before where we said, okay, we'll, we'll give a free one away. We do this with, as part of our financial plan. There's websites out there that will do it for 99 bucks. They'll do a Social Security analysis, and then there's also kind of a Medicare uh, analysis in terms of how much that's going to cost you as well. So it's, it's all um, – it's very important. And if, for example, the other day I was talking to somebody doing her financial plan, and she mentioned that she, um, you know, single lady, but she's a widow, and she was retiring. And I'm like, were you aware that there's a widow benefit? A lot of people don't even know that there's a widow's benefit, as long as they were married for 10 years and they're over 62 and um, they haven't remarried. You can get Social Security based on your deceased spouse, even though he passed away. Like. Eight, nine years ago. And in this case, it was more money? Yeah. She was able to take the widow's benefit and then switch to her own later. Okay. And um, between that and a couple of other things, I mean, she was to a point where she was kind of one of those people that I'm, I'm retiring no matter what you tell me because I hate my job. And uh, so then we kind of explored that and said, you know, if you don't do anything, you're going to run out of money at about age 82, 83. Um, so we talked about some part-time work options, stuff that she enjoys. Because she's kind of a very outgoing social person, okay. and she was stuck in a cubicle with two other women for the last 25 years that she really didn't like. <laughs> so it's like this very negative office atmosphere for a long, long time. That'd be tough to deal with. I understand that. So she but wants, to, same wants to do something social, make a little money. Yeah. So I, I guess I understand that. Yeah. So it's just it's weird when you have to tell someone like, yeah, you probably want to work a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know my financial uh, retirement, what it looks like, but I do know that I'm probably going to want to work, uh, just for social reasons. Right. Um, not necessarily for monetary, but the monetary would be nice, because you know, I can only put so much food in my belly. Right. Um, and I, I'm not going to be a big traveler in retirement. 
just not me. Yes, I, I, I probably will because right now, I mean, you know the stuff that I like to do. What do you um, like to do? Snowboarding, wake surfing, wakeboarding. I mean, on the water or on the snow. So that idea of traveling just to see something or walk around Rome, I don't really care about that right now because I know my knees and my hips are going to be destroyed and I'll be able to roll around in those places on a scooter. But I don't like Rome. 80 years old. I don't like Rome. <laughs> I don't like Italians. I work, for, I work for you don't, like, you don't like old people. You don't like children. I don't, I don't, trust, the, I don't trust the Germans. I know exactly what you're going to do in retirement. I like French. Yeah. They're lovely. So. You're going to be in a cave all boarded up writing your manuscript. That's what you're going to do in retirement. And I believe I like the people from Algiers, although I don't think I've ever met anyone from Algiers, but I believe that I will like them when I meet them. It's, you just like the name? You like the way it rolls off your tongue? Algeria? Sure. Okay. So. Well. Are you an Algerian if you're from Algiers, Algeria, or are you an, I don't even know. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. And again, the only reason I don't like Italians is that they do everything twice as fast as I can as far as getting women to fall in love with them. (laughs) Twice, that's it? Twice as fast. I will cook dinner for you all. And you're like, she's done. And for me, it like takes lots of money and lots of efforts to get that same kind of done satisfaction. <laughs> so, anyway, um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can drop an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Um, tonight, tell us a little bit more about the event, Mr. Burton. Uh, well, I mean, for one thing, if you want to be informed of what retirement costs and really how to set up your portfolio, this is... Why we do it? Ten pillars of retirement income planning. If you haven't gone through these ten different points, um, if you can't answer them, you're really not ready to retire. And it's key to figure out several issues. I mean, people don't run models, for example. You got to run a model and say, okay, if your spouse, you know, you're 65 now, but what if one of you goes into a nursing home for three or four years at the age of 75? What happens to your portfolio? Is the surviving spouse going to have enough money to live? Oh, by the way, Social Security. One person dies, the smaller check goes away, the bigger check remains in force. But when, when you have a married couple in there in their 80s and one person dies, expenses aren't cut in half. The only thing that's cut directly in half typically is food. Okay. Other than that, what's the, is your electric bill going to be cut in half? No. Healthcare expenses going to be cut in half? Depends on who was healthier. Um, so it's, it's something that people don't run models for, especially if they have pensions. Social Security and other other issues like that. So talk more about it. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Don't forget, tonight, big event, Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's an income and retirement pillars strategy event. You can sign up at robblack.com. That's robblack.com tonight. Overturn accident in San Francisco and this traffic report brought to you.
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Always trying to find trends at work on Wall Street. Investing in trends can quote-unquote be your friend. The aging of baby boomers and the effect on pharmaceuticals was a clear trend. Let's bring in Deborah Borchart, Street's market analyst. You can find her at thestreet.com. How are you, Deborah? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. I'm kind of excited to talk about uh, shoes with you. It's not a topic yeah. that comes up all that often. I, I know, I know. It's it's really interesting because I, I kind of came across this when I realized, um, well, one, a lot of the men around the office um, stayed in their sneakers during the day. They weren't switching them. And, you know, in New York, people walk a lot. Sure. So a lot of men got tired of their shoes getting worn down, and they were switching to sneakers, but they were staying in them all day, even with their suits. And so I started kind of going through the fashion blogs, which I love, and I'm seeing that they're doing the same thing for women. They're they're putting up all these slideshows of here are sneakers you can wear with your dress. Really? And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's not what you normally see. And as I started to research it more and look at some of the best sellers on on Amazon and talk to the people at Zappos and and talk to uh, retail analysts, they were all saying the same thing, that, yeah, absolutely, this is really starting to become a a shift in the workplace is to people wearing maybe not only sneakers but just comfortable shoes in general. And it's not just men, but it's men and women. So what are we to make of this? Is it the death of the dress shoe or is it the resurgence of the sneaker? I think it's a, a, definitely a little bit of both because okay. the companies that are doing dress shoes are seeing that they're not as popular, and it is definitely a generational shift. And there are companies that are benefiting from this. Of course, Foot Locker, because they kind of own the mall uh, shoe experience for sneakers, and then the chains that also sell shoes, they're definitely seeing an increase in sales of these types of shoes. And the companies that are making them, so like Skechers, um, who seems to have really keyed in on this, is doing well. Now, somebody like a Steve Madden, they did really well with the boot trend. They haven't quite been able to capture the sneaker trend. But it's getting into even big names and designer names like Coach. Coach has several sneaker styles that they're showing. So there's really a huge shift here as to what people are wearing in the office. It's fascinating to even think about, like, a coach known for the luxury purses get into sneakers, per se. Right. And we're also seeing a lot of this coming from Silicon Valley. And and it does start to make sense when you think about that because more and more companies are taking their cues from Silicon Valley. And people out there are wearing more comfortable shoes, maybe because they're in San Francisco and they walk a lot or they're being more environmentally conscious and trying to walk more or bike more to work. Sure. And they're in more casual work settings. So that's starting to to trickle up as opposed to the work office and attire trickling down to them. So you're not seeing Mark Zuckerberg show up in a suit. You're seeing him show up in a hoodie and, and some casual sneakers. Do you think it's – are we going to blame this generationally? Is it the young versus the old where the young people just don't? It is honor. definitely a generational thing because we did a survey here at the street and it, the numbers were, were just 
striking. Um, when you looked at it by age, 48%, so almost half of the people in the 18 to 24 age group think it's okay to wear sneakers to, to the office. But when you ask someone over 65, only 33% think it's okay. And that would completely fit in with that generation that, you know, when you first came out into the workforce, you wore a suit, you wore your dress shoes, you, you had your work outfit. Um, and that's starting to change now, you know. People are starting to, to want to be more comfortable and not put the dress shoe on. So I'm trying to almost grasp here. You don't think it you don't think it has anything to do with a slower economy, a jobless recovery. It's it's really just generational. It it's really generational okay. and and I think it is just a shift in people I think are maybe not necessarily dressing more casual, but when you do see these CEOs like a Mark Zuckerberg or maybe a Richard Branson and they show that you know what you don't have to be in the stiff suit with the white shirt and the red tie, that you can still be in charge and be a little more comfortable. I think you're also seeing that with women, too. You know, it's not just the men. Men already started out having comfortable shoes. I mean, dress shoes for men are not not exactly pinching your feet, Um, but they have shifted to the casual shoe and the sneaker. But you're also seeing that with women. Women are just getting tired of the heels. Um, It's not unusual for a woman to be in a ballet shoe or a flat shoe or a sneaker to get to the office and then switch to heels, but you're also seeing them now just stay in those flat shoes and those comfortable shoes. Um, so it's it's definitely a shift in what's acceptable at the office. How about you, Deborah? Are you uh, giving up the heels and going with the sneakers, or I and I I definitely only wear heels now, maybe once or twice a week in the office, and I used to be someone that that worked in heels all day long on my feet um, and because that that was what was expected. You were expected when you went into the office to be in heels. That was your professional look. Um, but, but people are starting to, to understand that workers want to be comfortable and a comfortable worker is a happy worker. And, and if you're able to make the shoe work with the outfit, then it's acceptable. Does the shoe have to work with the outfit? I think for women, yes. Okay. The men, the men is, it is not as, as critical, but for a woman, yeah, you have to make sure that the shoe you're wearing fits with the dress or the suit that you're wearing. Anything else? You're also we- seeing it fashionably, too. You're seeing a lot of these, like, award shows uh-huh. that the men are showing up in a suit but sneakers or a tuxedo but sneakers. And so you see all these, these rock stars and these actors and these fashion people that are showing that look. And it's becoming, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're trendsetters. Inside your story, I'm speaking with Deborah Borchardt, the street market analyst. One of those insights that you give is that, and I'm, I'm surprised by this, that Foot Locker owns 43% of the athletic footwear market. Right. That's... And if you've ever been to a Foot Locker, it's almost all Nike. Like okay. They have very little other, very few other brands other than Nike. So Nike, obviously, a dominant investment on a five-year period each year for the last 40 years, just always seems to be hitting new 52-week highs. They have to love your story. And maybe, maybe they even sponsored your story. They did not. They did not. And, and I was actually, you know, here I, I was surprised that Nike had, had broken out Jordan as a brand. 
um, but they did, and but it's still owned by Nike. And I was also um, kind of surprised too at how uh, some of the other uh, names that are out there, like Vans and Timberlands, are both owned by VF Corp. Uh, I thought that was kind of unusual. Um, I also didn't realize that that Nike owned Converse. So Nike really kind of has wrapped up so much of the market between the the good old-fashioned Converse canvas sneaker all the way to the, of course, the the basketball shoes, the LeBrons and the Jays. Because, you know, they're not Air Jordans anymore, and they're not Michael Jordans. They're Jays. <laughs> I don't know these things. Yes, my son my son schooled me in all this. He was like, oh, my God. He was, I was rolling his eyes and going, Mom, they're called Jays. You and I got old. Like, you and I got okay. old quick. With that said, anything else that we need to know from your story, Deborah, that you find insightful to last tip in, per se? You know, I think um, it's also we talked about the, the shoes at the, the work. There's also a couple other trends happening. Norm core, where people are trying to dress more average looking, and then there's also the ugly shoe trend for women that started out, and and women are wearing more of what they these Birkenstock looking shoes. So, very interesting stuff happening. Interesting, ugly shoes for women. Ugly shoes. I don't quite get it. And... <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker's probably rolling her eyes. Exactly. Thanks very much. It's Deborah Borchardt, the Streets Market Analyst. You can find her at street.com. She does a lot of really insightful pieces at street.com. Big-time researcher, big-time market person, always smart, always intelligent with what she has to say. So it's Deborah Borchardt, the Streets Market Analyst. Mr. Burton, you learned anything about shoes in that segment? I was paying zero attention. I was looking at uh, bond fund performance issues. <laughs> You're in a different when it comes to shoes, I just tune out, buddy. I don't know. Can't do uh, it. I think what I learned, again, is how dominant Nike is. And they're winning this battle of, you know, you and I can now wear a suit with with sneakers. Yeah. Like, how does that not, like, totally play into their hands? Like, of course it does. And they're just a dominant player. Well, if, you know, that, the, I went to my son's eighth grade graduation. Okay. And so, you know, all the student leadership got up and they, they took turns doing this part of the speech. And one of the things they talk about is the trends that, that happened throughout the year. And the girls, the guys kind of made fun of the girls of their Ugg boots and their lattes that they just had to have in eighth grade. That became the trend. And the girls made fun of the boys having to have these socks that, that Nike was able to get boys to spend 20 bucks on a pair of socks. Oh, yeah. On the elite socks. That was the huge trend for a lot of junior high kids this year. Not only the socks, but making sure that you got the full Nike outfit with the elite socks that match it perfectly. There's no doubt. There's a friend of mine whose kids going through that phase right now, and he's like, can I get the wrong color? If I get the wrong height sock? He's like, it's a disaster. (laughs) It it seemed like that that fashion trend, being cool, went away for a while, and now it's back, but it's sports gear. In this case, he also has to buy his kid a $300 Nike bat, a bat, a baseball bat. $300. That's a spendy. That's true. Well, that's it. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. Slow traffic through Fremont in this traffic.
Bob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I got CFP Chad Burton in studio today. Chad, have you heard a little bit about what are called people marketplaces? Have you heard about like Lyft and Uber? Oh, yeah, absolutely. First time I heard about Lyft was in San Diego. Okay. I was meeting with our friend Kristen. She's like, oh, let me just Uber a cab. And I'm like, what does that mean? That sounds weird. Did you spill something in a cab? And <laughs> Or do you want to spill something in a cab? It just sounds yeah. dirty. And did she get you an Uber? Oh, it was great. She showed me the app on her phone. You see the cabs rolling around. This, uh, I don't know if you can really say that, but a plush um, Prius okay. <laughs> pulled up to get us. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. It's um, There's an awesome app called Lyft, mm-hmm. and it's a very similar thing. And it's about a third of the cost of a cab. Um, but Uber's a bit more expensive, right? Uber's a little bit more expensive, yeah. and Uber's a little bit more professional. Uh, Lyft, they're encouraged to chat with you. Um, and they're encouraged to like give you like a cookie, yeah. whereas Uber is a little bit more professional. Um, but what it is, it's uh, Uber's got this massive market capitalization at this point in time. Um, it's gonna be one of the biggest IPOs next year. Yeah, um, probably gonna be bought very quickly by somebody too. What's interesting about it is that you look at it just just like oh, it's a cab, but it's not. It's a logistics company. It's a logistics company. Like if you need paper side today, yeah, they'll pick up papers for you. Right. They'll, they'll be a courier. So um, there's a new twist on it, too. Now, like, if you – there's an app called Instacart where if you want to go – like, say you want a six-pack of beer, mm-hmm. someone will buy it for you and pick it up <laughs> and bring it to you. Like, it's solving a pretty weird problem of just extreme laziness. Like, you can't get off your own couch to go get a beer. Yeah. But I like it. So well, I, don't know, nice. I don't know if the market cap should be billions of dollars for beer right. delivery company. Right, right. It's interesting, though, to see how the government's trying to get involved in this in terms of taxation and regulations. Like with this whole thing with Airbnb lately, the government trying to get after that and taxes, and it can't possibly be safe unless the government regulates it, right? There are some problems with that. Yeah, I mean, it, down. you have certain cab companies that can't charge the same way or deal with the same issues as Uber because of taxi cab um, unions or whatever it may be. So. It, We'll see. We'll see. They can you can come in and underprice the market, and then eventually have to catch up. It's kind of like with Prop 13 and businesses. You have two businesses right next to each other: an old business, a new business. A new business can't compete. Right. They buy the building. That's how. That's why people move out of California. Yeah. Now you sound like Governor Rick Perry. Good. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't. Know. Good. I mean, I'm. Yeah. Let's not talk politics. Let's just be fiscally conservative. Yeah, we our radio station runs commercials with Governor Rick Perry telling people to leave business and come to his state. Like, <laughs> I'm like not quite sure our sales manager gets the fact that he's promoting businesses that he wants his advertisers to leave, leave the state. state. <laughs> it's called a little flaw in logic, but go with me on that. Anyway, um, I'm with you. Big event tonight, uh, Elk Lodge. You ready for it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excited? I am. I, I mean, I love I love seeing the people that listen to us. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I love that venue, the Elks Club. You know, I got to this with my grandfather. We used to go to the Elks Clubs for lunch. There yeah. were several around Portland where, oh. you know, I grew up in the business. And they were always very dark and at a bar. And sometimes there's a bowling lane. Sometimes there's, you know, whatever. But this this is like, this is Palo Alto yeah. Elks Club, right? It's 
very new facility, great parking. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, we've got we're starting to fill up, so I think we opened up the room for a bit more spaces. So, so make sure you sign up quick if you're going to sign up. That's at robblack.com. It's robblack.com tonight, six thirty to nine. Good chance to meet Chad and his crew. Good chance to meet myself. Michelle Lerman will be there. Talk a little estate planning. Her her little stick that she's going to talk about tonight is how the hot stock market has created problems in estate planning. Yep. Which that has to be a good problem to have. It has. Here's the biggest one of the biggest issues though is that the challenge is how do you change your estate plan in light of the change in laws? Because we used to only be able to pass a million dollars onto our heirs without estate taxes. It was only two million for a married couple. Sure. Now it's five point three four million per person. So a lot of people think I don't have to do anything. But let's say you've accumulated a bunch of wealth, you're sixty years old, and you die. Do you think your spouse is gonna stay single forever? I don't know. Well, you're crazy if you think there are people need companionship in their life. So you don't necessarily want all these old bypass trusts funded or, or whatever it may be because that locks up money. It actually makes your heirs pay more capital gains taxes. Yep. So you've got to figure out ways to protect your share of your estate, have it available for your spouse, but protect it so you make sure you go to it goes to your kids because when people remarry, if they don't do it in their estate plan, it goes to their next of kin, and you could have money go to kids that aren't yours. And so you, there's ways to set it up to protect it, but the biggest thing too these days is not to protect, or is not to allow your children to get spoiled. That's a big one. Okay. And so you make sure that you know, a lot of trusts that I read, they say, oh, when I pass away, my kids get a third of it, a third of the money at 25, a third at 30, and a third at 35. That's like the most common thing that's out there. And uh, well, they get all the money at 35. They commingle it with their community property, and that's about the age of the first divorce, about 35 to 40. And so they lose half of the family money or they lose their ambition to work, even though they don't really have that much. You know, if you're, if a person's making six figures in the Bay Area, the present value of their income from 35 to 65 is millions of dollars. So if you only get a million and you lose your ambition to work and you run out of money when you're 60, you actually haven't done that kid any favor at all. You'd have been better off leaving that money to charity. So, um, Thinking of ways to protect your money from remarriage, protect your kids from divorce and lawsuits. Um, that's what we have to think about. The markets rallied hugely off the bottoms. It would kind of suck to leave your son or your sons a big chunk of change, and then they get married and they blow it, yep. or they get divorced and she takes half. Yeah, 50% chance you're going to lose half your family money if you don't do anything about it. That's pretty. It's pretty scary. You're discouraging me. <laughs> What do you stand for, Chad Burton? I stand for I'm going to bounce the last check I write the day I die and enjoy it. Make sure my kids work hard and learn really? work ethic. That's the scariest thing. You know, you can have really, really smart kids. Can't teach work, work ethic. They, they have it or they don't. Big event tonight in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Like Chad said, it's a great venue, great parking. You can sign up right now at robblack.com. It's tonight, an event tied towards retirement and income in retirement. Sign up at robblack.com. Geico presents Strange Saving Stories. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network. 
presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black. Talking money, investing, and more. Joining me now, CFP. Chad Burton. You so could have done that during the commercial break. I know. I know. I've been having problems. I, I put it in the slot and the microphone just starts to slowly drop as I'm talking, so I'm crouching down and then I put it back up. There we go. I've done this before. Yes. Yes, yeah. this is not your first rodeo of a radio I'm bringing show. my own microphone next time. So you and I are going to be doing an event tonight in Palo Alto at the Alps Lodge. It's an event that is kind of geared more towards you. Because it's ten pillars of retirement and income planning. Yep. Uh, what's one pillar? Well, one of the pillars, which is kind of ties into what you're going to talk about, which is dividend achiever stock. So, um, on the list, the ten pillars number eight is turn on the dividend and interest tap to maintain three years of cash. There's two parts to that. First of all, when I talk about what is three years of cash, it's three years worth of portfolio draws. So calculating that is Part of the, you know, one of the first steps when you do retirement income planning. So first of all, you got to go through all your expenses, and you got to add in all your health insurance costs, helping your kids, gifts, hobbies, travel, all that kind of stuff. And then you say, here's my gross expenses. And when you hear the term gross, what that means for people that don't deal with finance issues a lot is gross. Kind of equate that to taxes. Taxes are kind of, they're not fun to pay. So it includes your taxes when you say the term gross. Um, and then you find out, okay, here's my gross expenses minus your automatic income like Social Security and pensions. And that leaves you with a number of how much you're going to have to draw each year out of your portfolio. And you have to have three years worth of that sitting on the sidelines to get you through bad times. And I've been preaching this for 15 years with you on radio. Sure. And it's worked very, very, very well twice, right? 99, 2000, 2001, and then 2008 and nine, um, and really the market didn't start to go up again until March of 2009, from 2007 all the way down to the bottom of March 2009, and it worked very, very well. And um, you have to have that cash, but you also have to feed that cash. So a lot of people, as they're accumulating wealth, they're having their mutual funds and stocks reinvest the dividends, which is great. Big fan of it. Love it. Uh, great idea. Um, but once you retire, you need income. And so you need to have a portfolio that yields close to 3% between the dividends and the interest at a minimum. Um, so even with a large stock portfolio, like our dividend growth stock model, yields almost 3% just in dividends, which is better than a lot of bond funds out there these days. And rather than reinvesting that, you send that to your cash account each month in order to maintain and feed that cash. The other way you do it is you know, quarterly look at the portfolio. If your three years' worth of cash has dropped, you need to peel off some of the gains and replenish that cash. And uh, it becomes difficult, more difficult for me to get people to do that as you get four years, five years into a bull market run. Sure. Because people, like, they don't want to miss out on more upside. 
And so you have to teach them that it's, it's a risk management situation. Because in retirement, if you're drawing on a portfolio, getting hit with a big downside situation hurts more than missing out on a little bit more of upside. And it's a, it's easy to do after you go through a big correction, and it's getting harder for me to do these days. You were probably pretty hated last year when the market's up 30%, and you're like, yeah, you need yeah, three years to pull some money out. Got to pull some money out. Because you never know when that bomb's going to go off, when, when that sovereign debt crisis hits again. Um, I'm not really worried about the summer right now because it's the same stories, different countries. Okay. Um, but there's always something that seems systemic out there. Um, I don't see anything systemic right now. I mean, when it was Lehman Brothers and AIG, that was systemic. AIG, if AIG would have failed, Rob, we would have seen run on the banks in here and overseas. Sure. Um, and, at, you know, listened to Bernanke's speech in person last week and got to hear personally what he dealt with as he went through Lehman Brothers and he went through AIG, and he explained it very, very well. And uh, I think banks across the world are in much better shape. I think there's still some issues. I wouldn't be a European bank investor right now, uh, but you know, banks are in much better shape, but countries have turned out a lot of money. So I think you know, five, ten years down the road, sovereign debt issues, something that I keep an eye out for. Runaway inflation, sovereign debt crisis. That's what causes me to create extra cash in portfolios. Some other things to talk about are some bad rules of thumb yeah. in, a, in retirement. And again, I think you and I, if we weren't in this industry, we'd be approaching retirement as like, well, it's coming up, and I think I have enough. And, you know, hopefully Social Security's there and my health stays good. Like, I think the average person doesn't approach retirement as a business, like you and I do. Yeah. You, have, you even have to think of your portfolio as a business. Okay. So you have... What's that mean? Well, I look at it as my safe, my safe money, that's my operating expenses. That's, that's what I'm going to run the business off of right now, but my portfolio is my business. So, you know, it, I kind of think of it as, here's my safe money. I know it's not going to earn a lot when interest rates are low, but I use that for my payroll and all my expenses. And then out here, my business is generating... Dividends, it's generating interest, it's generating gains. Um, so you think of life as a business, really. Okay. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I don't either. totally lost track of thought. <laughs> I did that, but um, you you always you, you've got to monitor it, and it's you you almost have to do more monitoring of a portfolio in retirement than you do when you're 30 years old, because your goal when you're 30 years old, when you're 35, when you're 40 is how can I save more and put it even just into total stock market index funds, international funds, emerging market funds, and just save, 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 accumulate, accumulate, always accumulating assets rather than accumulating liabilities. That's what you have to focus on. But it becomes more of a, you need a better strategy when you're drawing on your portfolio, especially when interest rates are a third of what they were in 2007 on CDs and bonds. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't foresee a huge run-up in interest rates. I see a slow tick up, which is going to put some pressure on bond funds, especially some of the large, well-known bond funds. Just look at PIMCO total returns. It's had a huge amount of outflows. It's really tough for a bond manager to manage a bond fund when money's going out the door all the time. Okay. I think I'm with you. So better strategy going into retirement. That's what we talk about. It is kind of like the next big thing. I was talking with Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com, market analyst, and uh, I said, so what's the, what's the next big story? And it's like interest rates. When they start moving, the markets can change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, one member of the Federal Reserve sees interest rates moving this year. 
Most of them see interest rates moving next year. A couple of them see interest rates moving in 2016. Um, but how, how do you think that's going to affect the markets as far as retirees and their portfolios? Um, I think that a slow move up to 4 or 4.5% on the 10-year Treasury, um, stocks can still make it because what that will mean is that the, there's a little bit of inflation out there. There's a little bit of company's ability to control prices. Um, if we see that along with slight wage inflation, that's more money going into the economy, the ability for revenues to finally increase at a normal rate. Right now we've had a lot of profit you know, increases, but without a lot of revenue increases. Um, so that's healthy. That's normal. But what will happen is once you get to about 4 or 4.5% on the 10-year Treasury, then stocks versus bonds become a big issue. What's, what's better? And with 65,000 baby boomers turning 65, or I'm sorry, 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every month, you know, having that safety of a 10-year Treasury paying 4, 4.5%, laddering a bond portfolio, that starts to become, well, it's competition for stocks. So this, this idea of stocks as income alternatives right now, that's what scares me. A lot of people, I think, will get caught in pain on interest rate sensitive stocks in, in a few years out. Not necessarily in the next 6 to 12 months. Big event tonight. Palo Alto Elks Lodge. It's a retirement income in retirement event. You can meet CFP Chad Burton and his team, bring a copy of your portfolio, leave it, get some feedback on that. Big event tonight at the Elks Lodge. Sign up right now at robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.